Well, good morning, Julia. First, I'm so glad that some of you decided to brave the snow this morning. It's really not that bad out. That's right. You guys are the faithful, and thank you. Uh, I'll make sure that when I stand before Jesus, I, I'll, I'll help you out. <laughs> Do you remember the Sunday back in December when uh, there was a lot of snow and nobody showed up? <laughs> well, anyway, hey, we want to welcome you this morning. We are in our current series called The Future Present. Now, if you don't know it, there, there was an ancient people who longed for hope. There were this, these people who, who thought that life could be completely different than the way it was being experienced. So there was this anticipation, there was this excitement that was about to happen. And there was this body of people who looked to God for this hope that was to come. And see, they believed that God's gift in the future would someday come. And strangely, and oddly enough, God's future broke into the present. Through his son, Jesus Christ, this baby that comes to us, God's future of hope of a new kind of life on this earth came into the present. And so for us today, I think so often, and we we do, we yearn for the longing of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, if we continue to look for the coming of Jesus, we'll miss the Jesus that has already come to us today. You see, I truly believe that the greatest present that God could give us is His presence. His presence is our present to us. And we believe that that this, this future present is the present reality for us in this moment. So this morning I want to speak with you about what joy looks like in this future brought to the present this morning. Would you pray for me before we begin? Lord, we once again give you thanks this morning for snow the beauty of it, the joy of it, the donuts that we do in it, what fun we have. We give you thanks for for that. Lord, we ask that you be in this time as we begin to think about joy together. Would our hearts be moved today? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I, you might say that one of my character gifts, you might consider it a flaw depending on where you stand, is that... I despise the conventional. I hate it when people try to pattern my personality to what is perceived as normal by society. I hate it when people tell me no, that I can't do something. I don't mind last minute decisions. I like lots of changes. In fact, I like lots of questions. I think that's the greatest way to lead, really, is to ask lots of questions that really annoy people. You might say that viscerally woven into my, my, my being is this joy of the unknown, really kind of doing things unconventionally. I was reminded this week of a, of a time when I was supposedly watching and teaching students, and I took them to this thing called Winter Jam. Uh, some of our students would know what Winter Jam is like. Uh, if you've never been to Winter Jam, uh, it's it's a bit crazy. It's, it's a big stadium filled with thousands and thousands of stinky hormonal teenagers. Crammed in, we would, we would go to the Sprint Center. About 25,000 people would cram into the Sprint Center. And it was really a good time. They would have some decent Christian bands. And and my favorite part was the dancing and the headbanging. I mean, I think I was a good example to my kids of what it looks like to really get into a concert. But what I found interesting, in the midst of the screaming, in the midst of the dancing, in the midst of the headbanging, they always had about two times during the concert where they would try to silence everybody. 
where they would say, it's time to be quiet now. We're going to do something serious. And amazingly, they did a great job at getting 25,000 students quiet. Now, what they didn't take into account was that one youth pastor. And I'll never forget. I don't know if I was just caught up in the moment. I don't know if I was just so excited from all the dancing and all the moving and, and all the running kids over. I don't know what happened. But there was this moment of silence. Everybody was quiet. And I went, yeah! And 25,000 fans. Now my students thought it was absolutely hilarious. But the people in front of me didn't find it funny at all. And, and, and it finally came to, and I finally realized why they were so disgusted with my chant of joy. Turns out that we were in the middle of a prayer. <laughs> And we had just gotten a huge spill about Compassion International kids. Kids dying and suffering. And they're, they're, they're hungry and they have AIDS. And I mean, and we're praying for these kids. This is a very sober, sober moment. And here I am screaming at the top of my lungs for joy. It was an unconventional moment. A moment that didn't fit or seem to make sense. And I thought it was good. And so did our students. Um, but if we want to understand this morning, the passage that we're about to read, we, we must understand that Isaiah's passage for us is so unconventional. It is so out of the ordinary this morning. It's almost as if it is a scream in the silence. You, you have to understand this about Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. And people killed prophets. But he was a prophet to people and to the nation of Israel and to kings who didn't like him very much. And so he would go around and he would talk about their unrighteousness and their injustice and the ways that they were oppressing the poor people. And so he spoke this judgment of impending doom upon God's nation, these kings and people. And think that any time that a body of people are being instructed or being given judgment or being given punishment, there's kind of this moment of silence. It's kind of like when your kid, uh, you catch them with their hand in the cookie jar. Or, or, you know, one of my kids just punches the other one or grabs them by the throat. They do that in our house every once in a while. And I'll get so upset. I'll begin to talk to them about the thing that just happened. It's more like screaming. And, and you can just see it on their face. It's like, what is going to happen? But in that moment, in the humiliation, and this moment of, of humbling them, they're so silent. And so I think in the middle of this, uh, this, this judgment and this silence that, that, that the prophet Isaiah is speaking to these people, all of a sudden, there comes this messianic poem that doesn't make sense. Scholars are so confused on why the passage we're about to read place where it is. And the reason it doesn't make sense to them is because they're scholars. They just make too much about everything. But see, for me, my understanding is this, is that in the middle comes to us. It is a yell yearning for life. It is a roar that repudiates brokenness and rubble. It is, it is a shriek of intentional restoration of a God who does not leave his people in their hurt and in their pain. But rather he takes their brokenness and their rubble and he makes a new life out of it. That's what comes to us this morning in this wonderful passage. 
of Isaiah. So if you would, let's lean in to Isaiah 35. If you would, turn into your Bibles to Isaiah 35. You can also use your worship folder provided in front of you, or we will now have the words on the screen. Would you please stand for the reading of Isaiah's Sanic Forgive me if I get excited. This is the desert, and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. I love this part. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. And He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the, the lame will leap like a deer and the, the mute tongue shall shout, shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling with springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass, reeds, and papyrus will soon grow. And a highway, hang on to that, a highway will be there. It will be called a highway, the way of the holy ones. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will, will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. And they will not be found there at all. But only the redeemed will walk there. And, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing and with everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sign will flee. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all may be seated. Well, if we want to truly understand Isaiah's messianic poem of joy, we we have to understand that the earth and people represented in this in this chapter are in complete contrast to the earth and people we see in chapter 34. Now, I'm not going to read chapter 34. You're just going to have to take my word for it. But in chapter 34, we are given mention of a nation named Israel. Now, Isaiah, up to this point, has talked to a lot of different nations, but Edom all of a sudden comes out of nowhere. In fact, scholars, once again, have no clue why Isaiah all of a sudden mentions this nation that that wasn't mentioned before. But there are a few things I want to make note about Edom this morning. The first is this, is we have to go back to Genesis to understand where the Edomites came from. Many of you know the story of a, of a baby that was born with red hair all over his body. In fact, that's how I was born. <laughs> My parents uh, tell me that I look like an orangutan when I was born. Uh, yeah, okay. No beauty there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we remember this story uh, in Genesis where this baby was born with red hair all over his body. And as he grew up, he became somewhat of a hunter and a gatherer. And one day he came back from the hunt and he was exhausted, he was hot, he was tired, he was famished. And he had a brother named Jacob who was a little more domesticated. He likely would find him on HGTV instead of or die. But anyway, Jacob had made this this porridge or this red pottage. And you'll remember that 
that when he, Esau comes home, he's so hungry, he says, may I have some of your stew? But Jacob says, I love this, it will come at a price. It will come at a price. It will come with your birthright. And so here's what we have to understand about Esau as he gives over to his uncontrollable desires of the human body to then give away all of his heir and everything that was going to be his for a stupid bowl of soup. Imagine you would you would inherit a five million dollar mansion and you say, nope, I think I'll give it away for this bowl of red stew or paste. So he gives over to the uncontrollable desires of his body. And we know that that over time, the Edomites became the descendants of Esau. And this really becomes their identity and who they are. They kind of become this nomadic, raiding people who go about fulfilling their own desires of their wants. They remind me of the Vikings. I cannot get off this Vikings kick. My goodness. I, I just love it. And they remind me of the Vikings. They would go around and they would pillage and they would plunder and they would take and they would destroy everything they, they wanted in order to have and to meet their own desires. They could care less about their neighbors. They could care less about other people. In fact, they could care less about God's design for them to care for creatures and creation. And Isaiah, something else, actually he doesn't point it out. It's, it's kind of a hidden, hidden meaning this morning written in chapter 35. You see, Isaiah speaks of a highway, but but the Edomites had their own highway. When they weren't out punching people and taking things from poor people, they had a highway traversed through their nation. And it was called, listen to this, the King's Highway. And what's interesting about this King's Highway is that the Edomites, for them, this became their way of life. This was the way that they economically built their nation. So much like the state of Illinois, anytime people would travel through their roads, they would tax them outrageously. Some of you get that. You drive to Chicago every day. You know. But not only would they tax people, but, but they would negotiate and they would trade and they would, they would coerce. And in some ways there was corruption and power and everything that this king's highway represented was not good at all. And it's interesting that, that when Moses leading the slaves out of Exodus, they try to traverse through the land, and the Edomites say, no way. In fact, if they don't want you there, they'll let you know. In fact, you may not know because you're dead the time they let you know. But they were the ones who controlled the highway. They were the ones who, 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 disguised, who let people know and so here's what Isaiah I think wants us to understand about the Edomites is that in some ways and he says this in chapter 34 they are a chaotic and desolate people they bring chaos and desolation and the literal translation means tohu and bohu which I love because we get that very image in Genesis where God is hovering across the waters also known as chaos and lack of order and what he wants us to understand is that these are a people of destruction. These are a people who create chaos on the earth. They create desolation. And in fact, I think if we could really just sum it up in one sentence, it would be this, is that 
they were a representation. They were a representation of the world's arrogant nations who are the antithesis to God's vineyard. So we have an image of a nation that literally silences Imagine the silence of peace. Pressure. Power. Control. Coercion. Silence of But then, and right after chapter 34, in fact, scholars love to connect the two passages. We make this major transition from an earth and a people who are completely destructive and chaotic to the beauty of a new world that is filled with life and blessing and love and hope. And it is a new world that's beginning to take shape. And we notice that in Isaiah 35, there's a new highway that's being built. And I want to call it this morning this, the highway of divine retribution. The highway of divine retribution. Now, when we, when we think of the word retribution, especially on my end, I think of the ways in which the world has shaped my imagination. In fact, I think like the Edomites. I think of injustice and coercion and corruption and violence and power. And I think in Christian circles, too often, we associate God with those adjectives, which is quite scary. But a new king is building a new highway. And I love what he says. This highway is about strengthening the feeble hands Steadying the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, and he will save you. Notice it's not this retribution of silence. But this, my friends, this morning, as I scream of joy into the silence of pain of suffering, it says, Then will the eyes blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like the deer, and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Water will gush from in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground bubbling up like springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, there will be growth of greenery. A highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. And it will be for those who walk in that way. And I love how he finishes it out. He says, only the redeemed will walk there. Only those who have been rescued by this divine retribution will walk there. And they will enter Zion singing. They will be crowned with joy. Gladness will overtake them. And sorrow will be gone for eternity. Amen. This is exciting. And this is a whole sermon on joy. And we're sitting like it freezing outside. My goodness. Somebody help us. I want you, just for a moment, I want you to imagine this new king with a new highway with me this morning. Imagine as you travel this highway, we are given a landscape of hope. We are given a road that's foundation is peace and restoration. You see, it says that the blind will see. This highway as we look out says that the, the unspeakable will shout 
true joy. Where, where there is lifelessness, there will be life. Where there are failures, it will be forgotten. Where there are selfish desires, they will be forgiven sins. Where we are wrong, we are made right. When we are hungry, we will have enough. Where you no longer live through life, not making the cut. Where you will be called good and loved. You see, on this highway, the unworthy is made worthy. The clean, unclean is made clean. And the broken are made new. And in the middle of this psalm, in the middle, not excuse me, in the middle of this, this poem, comes a scream of joy. I want to say ice cream because, man, that just brings me joy. But it's a scream of joy and a silence. I find it interesting that that Isaiah doesn't call the road itself home, but he calls the people who traverse that road home. That it is we, when we are transformed into the image of God, when we are restored into his goodness, that we are what make that road holy. Because we are the image of what holy looks like when God makes us new. I love how he ends it this morning. I love that he says, joy, joy, joy will crown their heads. I want you to notice this morning that it doesn't say that thorns will crown your heads. It says joy will crown your heads. Because somebody has taken the crown of thorns that threatens our head in our life and has placed it upon their head. And they have taken every thorn that has defined who we are. That has been the fabric of our souls, whether it's lying or whether it's whether it's revenge or whether it's hatred or racism or despair, whether it's death. He has taken those thorns and he has placed them on his head and he has put them to the grave. And we are given, we are given a crown of resurrection. This, my friends, is joy. You have life because somebody else has taken those thorns and given you a new hope. We no longer have to have a thorn in our sides or on our heads because Christ is making all things new within us. This is our joy this morning. But I have to be honest, uh, I often wonder, I often wonder where in the church or where in the Christian life we got it wrong. Somewhere along the line, we decided that joy was different from happiness. That happiness was kind of this shallow thing that people who are too dumb to know they're miserable experience. And then joy is something that Christians who who are in touch with themselves and really deep understand. But i got to be honest, as I read the Bible, and I know I've got some crazy ideas... Uh, the more I understand it, the more I realize that joy and happiness, when you really begin to define it, are inseparable. That with joy comes happiness. But somehow, within the church and within the Christian life, we've decided that that joy and sacred moments are only found in the somber and sober. That we have to live morose lives in order to have a joyful I heard a pastor say this week that he had literally had somebody come up to him and say, hey, uh, I'm going to quit my job. And he said, well, 
why? Well, I like my job too much, and I feel guilty for liking it. And I'm just so happy with the work that I have, and I don't think God wants that for me. So I'm going to quit. He said, well, understanding of God is very poor. I'm just wondering, if we really grasp the understanding that joy is meant for us to be happy, that our life is not dependent upon our financial situations, our circumstances, our job that we work, but rather we are to walk into life We are to walk into the middle of modernity where people look like robotic, uh, idiotic, um, uh, uh, anemic selves that, that are really silenced by this world. And what if your life walked in every day, regardless of your situation, screaming into the silence of despair, a scream of joy? You see, I guess, thank you for the scream of joy. You see, I think our lives would look more exciting if we were to to walk into every moment fully alive. And people begin to look at us and they say, they are so weird. What is wrong with them? And they'll understand that our joy doesn't come from circumstances, circumstances and situations. But it comes from the deep-seated joy of knowing that we, we have a God who is resurrected. You see, we got to quit looking like our God is dead when we have a God who's so, so fully alive. I think Sundays should be filled with clapping. It should be filled with singing. It should be yelled with, I mean, we just be yelling and screaming and laughter. And, you know, we used to have a guy who used to run the aisles. I wasn't here then. But amen for people who like to run the aisles, even if it does weird you out. You see, we often resemble the snow that sits outside. don't want to get too crazy up in here. But I think we need just a little more soul and a little more excitement, a little more happiness about what God has done for us today. You see, joy. Joy is the cry of the crown. Joy is the cry of those crowned. Joy is the cry of those crowned forgiveness to Christ. I think joy is a choice. Now I have this affinity for mixing words together. I don't know why. It's just my creative self. But if you take joy and choice, you get choice. And if you begin to look at what Isaiah says at the very beginning, he says rejoice. And so I'm a firm believer I'm a firm believer that the reason he tells us to redo it over and over and over again is that every day, every day of your life, you must intentionally choose joy. That intentionally, when you get up in the morning, you are reminded of the God who has given you so much grace and mercy and forgiveness. Yes, that's right. Joy an intentional choice. And that's why Isaiah says to us today, we choice. I want to leave you with this thought. See, I don't think the church, I don't think the church and its people were ever meant to be silenced. Rather, we are to be like me in the middle of 
25,000 stinky teenagers. We are to be a scream in the silence. You see, we are to be a scream of joy in the silence of despair. A scream of joy in the silence of despair. In fact, why don't we practice this for just a moment? Do what I do. Yeah! There we go. Don't you feel alive this morning? It feels so weird. It feels so awkward. That is what you were supposed to look like. It's your life. It's a scream of joy in the silence of despair. So here's the, here's the, here's the question. What about us as a church? I think overall, I'm not talking about this church. We're, we're on the move. We are changing. We are moving. We are on a mission. We are changing lives. We are bringing hope to people. We are different from the average church. Yes. Yeah, this is good. I'm loving this. I think the church, in some sense, has lost its ability to tell the story. church around us is completely broken. And yet, it's funny because experts on churches and church growth seem to want to make us these, these healthy, growing churches. And you get books like uh, 18 Things to Do to Get Young People in the Pews. 14 Habits of Great Leaders, you know. All these self-help books on how to make your church great. But think about this. There are no books about how to show your brokenness to the broken. There are no books about how to receive more grace by royally screwing up your life. There are no places within today's society that lets you be damaged goods. Nowhere in society are you allowed to be a broken, damaged person. Broken and damaged What if the church being a successful church. We are a body of people who live into their mission of being a community of hope. And we offer those who are hurting, who are lonely, who are sad, a place where they can come and see me And we will love you no matter what. That's what Joey is. And I'm proud to be your In fact, uh, we're going to do something that we haven't done since I've been here. I don't know if all of them are here, but uh, we're going to take in new members this morning. Yeah. You, you see, we've had, we've had about 11 people go through this new course called the Covenant, uh, Community Covenant Membership Course, where we are learning to, to, to make a covenant with our church. You see, membership at our church is not, oh, you get a country club pass and you get to go golfing all weekend. No, 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 that's not how it works. Uh, there are no perks to join the church. <laughs> Just a disclaimer. There is fine print everywhere. Uh, but we have, we have some people that have literally gone through a whole course of study about who we are as a people, what our church is about. 
And they have decided that they want to be part of a church whose mission is to be a community of hope. And so I would invite all of those folks who have said that they would like to be members of our church this morning, have gone through the course to come forward this morning. And we today, this morning, are going to accept them as new members into this church. Now, some of them aren't here, so we'll go ahead and count them anyway. Good, I'm glad to get them coming. Good. We're going to do this a bit differently, uh, other than what the manual prescribes. Just because we like James. <laughs> so this morning, uh, soon to be members of the church, by the way, we should just go down the line. This is Weston and his lovely wife, Audrey. They just had a beautiful baby named Freya. Oh, gorgeous. By the way, Norwegian and on Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have Weston and Audrey's wife's not here. We have Jim and Debbie. You know Jim and Debbie. We have Jess and Valerie and Jennifer and Katie. Uh, I think I'm missing somebody. Uh, nope, we're all here. So this morning I'm going to make a statement, and all I need you to do is agree with me. Here we go. Because we believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We especially emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ and the personality of the Holy Spirit. We believe that human beings are born in sin and that they need a work of forgiveness through Christ and the new birth of the Holy Spirit. And subsequent to this, there is a deeper work of the heart moving us toward a Christ-like life. We believe that our Lord will return. The dead shall be raised and that shall all shall come to a final judgment. Do you heartily believe these truths? If so, answer, we do. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you realize that He saves you now and forevermore? If so, we answer, we do. Now, this is where it gets the church. Church, I need you to stand. We're going to do two things together. Like we do with when we when we baptize, our, or excuse me, when we dedicate our infants, you commit to them as a church. And so this morning, I'm asking you to commit to our new members as well. So, desiring to unite with the Church of the, of the Nazarene, do you once again make a covenant to give yourself to the fellowship and the work of God? Will you endeavor in every way to be an example and to teach our by God by a conversation? By devotedly giving of your faithful attendance upon the means of grace, Will you seek earnestly to perfect holiness of the heart and life in the pure of the Lord? If so, answer as a people and a church. Now, I would like for all of us, I think we have it. would like for us, because this is what to, and I'm not so sure that we have fully understood as a church that we are committed to something great called the local church, which I believe is the future. And so this process... My mic is. Here in Creed, we wrote a creed that's in process this morning for our church to talk. This morning, I would like to say this together. Do we have it? All right. It says, We are a community of hope. We will be hope to a hope. (laughs) That's right, you can read better than I can. As farmers left the edges of their fields for the orphan, the widow, poor, and foreigner, we will strive to be the edges for our community, 
We believe Joliet First Church has the power to change the world. As a community of hope, we will seek God as God relentlessly pursues each of us. We will align our lives and habits towards God's hopes for the world. Invest our time, our gifts, talents, resources to the poor, those less fortunate, the church, and others who need our gifts more than us. Restore people into the image and life God intended every human to live. And send people as images of hope who participate in God's restoration and redemption mission for the world. We believe the best church is the sent church. God, grant us the power, strength, boldness, and love to live up to the vision and mission you have for the church and the church universal. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just we just take joy in the opportunity today to celebrate the way you have changed our lives. We take joy in the fact that you have called us to live a present joy in this moment to the people around us. We give thanks for people who are committing to our church as a body of the people. That we believe the local church is the hope of the world and that we believe here we are changing the community which is the world around us. Lord, give us your mercy. Grant us your peace and your love to be hope and joy to the world this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.